Well, good morning. What a great time of worship that we've enjoyed uh, together today. It's hard to believe, it really is hard to believe that in just a, a couple of days, um, many of you, um, all of us hopefully, are going to be enjoying Thanksgiving with family and with friends in just a few days. As a matter of fact, I've, if I've had one person, I've had a dozen people tell me in the last week, come to me with this real puzzled look on their face and they're going, it can't be. Is it really? Is it Thanksgiving in just a few days? And then Christmas a few weeks after that? And the reality is yes. I've even had some people who said, I think my calendar's broke. I didn't know a calendar could be broke. I think my calendar's broke. Is it really? Is it really this time of year? And it is. We learned in our series the previous five weeks that time stands still for no one. The Bible says that we are to, we are to, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom, a heart of understanding. And this morning I want to talk to you just for a few minutes about the idea of intentionally living a life of thanksgiving coupled with gratitude. And, and you, really, you really need both of them to bring honor to the Lord. Now, here's your one big idea this morning that I want you to hold on to. If you get nothing else, I really want you to get this. When we, God's children, recognize God's blessing and intentionally, and that's the key word today, when we intentionally show gratitude with our lives, that will lead, that will lead to a joyful life. No maybe, no but, no perhaps. When we, the church, God's children, when we recognize God's blessings in our life, and then intentionally show gratitude for them. The byproduct of that will be a joyful life. Now what we can deduce from that is that our joy is not dependent upon our circumstances. Based upon what Christ did on the cross, we can rise above our circumstances. And so that totally trumps the idea that if we're a child of God, that we can live a complaining and a criticizing life, and that that would bring honor to God. The Bible says that we're to do all things without grumbling and complaining. And so today we want to talk about the importance of intentionally showing gratitude to God for the blessings in our life. And it leads to joy. It leads to happiness. It leads to a positive witness for our Lord. Now, someone said that Thanksgiving is a feeling, and it is. And gratitude is the action that shows Thanksgiving back to God. And that's kind of what we're going to unpack today. Because Thanksgiving is a feeling, but it's gratitude that shows, that expresses action, that, 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 that thanks God for what He's been doing in our lives. And so this morning we're going to look at a text, perhaps you've read this numerous times like me, in Luke 17, um, beginning in verse 11 through 19, we have an interesting story about these ten lepers. And they were in a rather desperate situation. Now, we're going to look at this text today, then we're going to draw some lessons from what God wants to teach us with this. And I love the attitude that Thanksgiving is a feeling. Because all of us have things that we can be thankful for. We're thankful for this church. We're thankful for our families, for our home, for our jobs, and all those things. But gratitude is the action that expresses that feeling. It lets God know, man, I know, you're, I know you're working on my behalf, like the song said a minute ago. I know you favor me, and, and I want to say thank you, and I want to say thank you with my life. Intentional living. Well, Luke gives us a story of ten lepers who really needed a special touch from the Master's hand. And beginning in verse 11 of Luke 17, here's what we find. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, now who is he? Jesus. 
Now, why was he going to Jerusalem? This is important. He was headed to Jerusalem for an appointment with Calvary's cross. He knew he would be arrested. He knew that it would be a, a kangaroo court. He knew that he was, his mission was to ultimately go to the cross and ultimately die on your behalf and on my behalf. So to say that he had something on his mind would be a colossal understatement. So we know that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem for an appointment with crucifixion. That's where he's headed. And then the text tells us that he traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Now, why is that significant? It's significant because a lot of Samaritans lived there whom the Jews could not stand. They called them horrible, ugly names. They, they referred to the Samaritans as an inferior race because they were not pure Jews and they had intermarried and they had all these horrible words they said about him. So he was walking into a hostile racial situation. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance. Why? Well, we know they couldn't get close to him because the, the law required them to be ostracized from society in a leper village. And they were very contagious. That's why they were at a distance. And he called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now that's fascinating. They saw Jesus at a distance, but yet they recognized him, which tells us that his ministry preceded him, that they recognized him. Moreover, they stood ready with the request at that very moment, which is a wonderful lesson for you and for me in the days to come, especially this time of year. Verse 14, when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Tremendous act of faith. Verse 15, and one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. An act of humility. And he was a Samaritan. The Jews would consider him inferior. And Jesus asked, were not all the ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? I have, I have an answer to that. They're at the same place that you and I would have been. They're probably at the priest saying, please pronounce us cleansed so we can go back to our family and friends and place in our community and our, in our work. That's where they were. Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Therein speaks to the racial tension that Jesus was dealing with. And then he said to them, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Now, here's what we learn from these ten lepers of all things, the eve of thanksgiving. Now, the first thing that I pick up on is true gratitude recognizes our desperate situation. Our desperate situation. Now, their desperate situation, the lepers, it was elementary. It was, it was simplistic to identify. Either they received a miraculous healing from Jesus or they died. Now, we know based on what the Bible teaches us and on what Jewish historians teach us that lepers, they were ostracized from society. They were cut off from their community. They were found, they were actually exiled to the outside of a city called a, a leper colony. And they had little hope of being, little hope of being healed. But the ten lepers recognized Jesus and then they asked, they asked, could you please have, give us a merciful healing. We should always stand ready. We should never not know what to ask for 
Because Jesus is always right here willing to, to move and act on our behalf. That's a wonderful lesson to take away from these ten lepers. So true gratitude recognizes our desperate situation. Josephus is a first century Jewish historian. I was in seminary one week before I heard his name. I wondered, who is Josephus? I thought maybe he was somebody, a professor on campus. I didn't know who Josephus was. Well, let me tell you who Josephus is. He's one of the most reliable, reliable Jewish historians that we have on record. And, and Josephus said this of a leper in um, first century times. He said they were no different from a corpse. Let that sink in. You know what that means? Remember in the movie, the phrase, dead man walking? That's what they were. They had zero, not a shot. Their disease was thought to be incurable. They weren't even given medical attention. They weren't even given any help at all. They were considered dead men walking. And they died without medical attention. They died without attention from their families. They died with no place in society. It's a horrible way to die. Now, if Jesus were walking the streets of Main Street, USA today, what would he see? What would he see? Would he find a lot of situations that look like lepers? I mean, he would find disease, would he not? He would find those that are living in poverty and below the poverty level. He would recognize the fact that our nation, as many other nations, are being threatened with, by terrorists. He would recognize that, that we have all sorts of divides in our nation. But let me just share with you where he would camp out and where he would see the greatest plight in our society. It wouldn't be physical, it would not be economical, it would not be political, it would not be social, it would be spiritual. And as Jesus walked the streets today of Main Street, USA, what he would see is a nation in desperate need of him. But many people don't recognize that. Now what is that called? Spiritual blindness? Sure. What that's called is pride. The Bible says this, the Bible says that pride comes before the fall, a haughty spirit before destruction. And Jesus would walk the streets of Main Street, uh, USA today. He would recognize our need for a Savior and would pray that we would recognize our need for a Savior as well. Now, here's what I know. We have to recognize we need help before we can ever be helped. Now, that makes sense for ten lepers who had a death sentence, does it not? It makes even more sense for us today in the 21st century some 2,000 years later. You see, it, we don't just need to recognize our desperate situation spiritually. We have to recognize our need for help for, for Christ every day. And the, the more successful that we are, the more affluent that we are, the more on top of our game that we are, the more independent, the more self-reliant we are, the easier it is to think that we can push cruise control and we got it, we can do it all on our own. Yet he says that we need to recognize our desperate situation, not just physically, but spiritually as well. As a matter of fact, scholars tell us that they believe the one leper, the Samaritan that came back to Jesus, they believed he received a double healing, a physical healing and a spiritual healing as well. Now, I have several friends, I have a number of friends that came to faith in Christ beyond the age of 18. And that's nothing short of a miracle. Now, anybody that comes to faith in Christ, that's a miracle. But when an adult comes to faith in Christ, you don't see that very often. And we've had the privilege of seeing that a good bit at First Ridgeland, and we've seen that in our community. And a lot of my friends that have come to faith in Christ, let me share with you 
what the, the attitude they carry with them every day. They carry with them an attitude of joy and gratitude every day. And the reason is because they recognize how desperate their life was. Now, it doesn't mean that they have perfect marriages. It does not mean they have perfect jobs. It doesn't mean that they have uh, perfect neighbors or perfect in-laws or perfect anything. What it does mean is they recognize how desperate their situation was pre-Christ. And one of my friends, <clears throat> I brought him with me um, this past Monday uh, to a pastor's conference. He's not a pastor. He's just has, had a radical conversion, and I knew those ministers needed to hear from him. And wherever he goes, if you're a brother or sister in Christ, especially a brother in Christ, man, he's just going to hug you. And if you're a brother in Christ, he's going to ask you what you're learning. And I have some other friends that are just the exact same way. And what was funny this past week when he was, when he was talking and addressing these ministers, you know, sometimes ministers, because they have a real heavy, serious job, they can be kind of like Eeyore, you know, just kind of a wet blanket. And, you know, pastors can be kind of heavy stuff, you know. We're dealing with funerals, we're dealing with this, and we're dealing with that, and sometimes they can get kind of down. And these guys were kind of down. And, man, let me just tell you, he lit a fire in them. I love what he said to him. He said, look, you of all people need to get out of your houses. You need to get out of your churches. You need to knock on some doors and tell your neighbors they need Jesus Christ as bad, if not more so, than you did. I'm like, man, that's good stuff. They didn't expect to get that. He wasn't on the program. It was, quote, an audible that we called. But, man, he, it was really good stuff for those pastors in there. And here's what he taught them. You don't ever need to get over being saved. You want a shot of gratitude in your life right now? You want to move Thanksgiving from a feeling to an action? Do you need help? If anybody needs help today, here's how you do it. Remember your life. Remember your spouse's life. Remember your kid's life. Remember your parents' life. Anybody's life pre-Christ. Because you know what? I'm a sinner too. And so are you in need of a Savior. And so, if we want to live intentionally, and if we want to live a lifestyle of gratitude, we must daily remind ourselves of our desperate situation. The only thing, the only other, the only other alternative is to take the wheel yourself, which is dangerous right? Therefore, we have to live every day, not once a week, every day with the swing thought that our lives are desperate without Christ. And we'll mess it up terribly if we take control. So the lepers teach us that we have to recognize our desperate situation. It's desperate not just physically, but spiritually, vocationally, and relationally. And then they teach us that we need to not just recognize our desperate situation. We've got to act in faith. Isn't it fascinating in verse 14 that when they cried out to Jesus to have mercy upon them and to heal them, that Jesus said to them in verse 14 of your text, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. But yet he never said to them one time, go show yourselves to the priest because you're already healed. He didn't do that. He told them to go to the priest because that is exactly what the law of Moses required. The only way they could gain re-entrance into the culture was for the priest to pronounce them healed. That's why he said go. 
Yet the fact that they went showed a tremendous act of faith. I've always wondered how the priest would feel if he had lepers come to, to, to him to examine them and to show themselves cleansed. What if they weren't cleansed? I've often wondered that about the priest. But that's, I digress. Anyway, Jesus said, I, I want you to go show yourselves to the priest. An act of faith. You haven't been healed yet, but as you go, an act of faith, you will be healed. There's an interesting phrase in the text. And when you drill down a little bit deeper, called consider it done. And that's exactly what they were doing in verse 14 when they left. The original Greek paints an interesting word picture. Now, the phrase consider it done was fascinating. And what it means in the original Greek is that the individual, the individual that is asking for something to be done, it is guaranteed. He can consider it as if it had already, get this, already have happened and that's what they did you know I used to work with a gentleman he wasn't a lead pastor and he wasn't even on senior staff he was actually one of those behind the scenes guys but nothing happened without him but nobody ever really knew what he did except for those of us who worked behind the scenes with him and he had this little phrase he had this little phrase that he would say. He had a photographic memory. And whenever you would come to him and you would say, hey, I need this room set up, or I need this, or I need that. And you know, he's eyeballing you, and he would do one thing. He would repeat it back to you. And then he'd wait for you to leave. And if you tried to kind of expand upon your instructions, he would say this, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's done. Don't worry about it. It's done. And then he would go back to his computer. He would type everything out. He would bring his team around him. And then guess what would happen? It would get done. And did he ever not do it? No. I wonder how many of us that could be said about today. Consider it done. Now, let me get a little bit personal with you regarding this point. Where do you need to act in faith right now? You know it's somewhere in your life. For some of you right now, you know where it is. It's the big chasm. You need to step across the bridge that says, all right, I'm trusting, I'm trusting what I'm bringing to the table for salvation to what Jesus Christ has already done. For some of you, that's the biggest act of faith that you will ever demonstrate. But yet for others, it might be that a relationship is not what it needs to be and you need to do what God's called you to do and trust God to act on your behalf. Perhaps it's a job, and maybe it's not going the way you want it to go. Or maybe, just maybe, it's a health issue. Or maybe, just maybe, it's something else that you know is out of your hands and out of your control. And God's saying, you know what you need to do? You need to do everything you can and then act in faith. How would you like to have been that one leper? How would you like to have been him? Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And then look down. Are you kidding me? And then he returned, the Bible said, in humble gratitude expressed back to God. It's amazing what an act of faith can do for me and for you. But it doesn't end there. There's one more lesson that we can hang our hat on. True gratitude, true praise, always, always, always expresses itself with joy and praise back to God. If you look back in the text, the Bible says that that one leper in verse, four, verse 15, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God. How did he praise him? 
In a loud voice. Did he say, thank you, Jesus? In a loud voice, the Bible said he praised God. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Stated another way. He was socially on the outside looking in, but he just, he threw caution to the wind and he threw himself at Jesus' feet. The Bible says with joy and with praise and humble, humble gratitude. Fascinating. There is no doubt in my mind that the other nine lepers were not equally as thankful as the one leper that returned. But get this, they didn't take time to do it. Your most valuable commodity. The Samaritan not only returned to Jesus, but he returned to him with humble gratitude. He threw himself at Jesus' feet. That's why Jesus commended his act. He commended his act because it moved him from feelings to action. Feelings to action. Here's what Lewis Smead had to say about this. One of the most brilliant minds of the last hundred, hundred years. He said, I have never met a grateful person who was unhappy. Wow. Never. Surely I'm the exception. No, you're not. Surely there's one exception, not one. Now, can we back that up with the Bible? Yes, we can. The Bible says what? Do all things. All in the Greek means all. Do all things without grumbling and complaining. Moreover, the one book in the New Testament and the whole theme of the book is joy. It's the book of Philippians. It's 104 verses written by the Apostle Paul. And he says over and over again. He says, be joyful, I say always, and I will say it again. Be joyful. Rejoice in the Lord always. Be joyful. Yet his circumstances weren't joyful. As he wrote the book and all the prison epistles, he was under house arrest. And so you see this gratitude that we're studying. It rises above our circumstances because we're connected to Christ. John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit. Now consider these questions just for a moment. When's the last time you, and, and look, not your husband, not your wife, not your kids, you. When's the last time you said thank you to someone for something they did for you? When's the last time you went old school and wrote a thank you note? Not a thank you email. Not a thank you text. A thank you note. Why is a thank you note so important? Because you can hold on to it. I've got a big old honking folder in my office of thank you notes that I was going to bring here. But it was so cumbersome I would have spilt it all over the stage. Which might not have been a bad object lesson after all. When's the last time you said thank you to this person for investing in you and then wrote it down on a piece of paper, put a stamp on it, and sent it in the mail? Or perhaps gave a gift to someone for doing something for you? Or maybe even thank God for someone who invested in you? 
I have a picture in my office. I wanted to bring it with me. I know you probably can't see it. So if you want to come later for show and tell, you're welcome to look at this. But anyway, this is a photo of a little 10, 11-year-old little girl. Her name is Natalie in the baptism waters of a different church. Sorry for those of you who I'm blinding you right about now. And that's me in the backdrop. And the mom took the picture. And we were pastoring Calvary Baptist Church in Waynesboro. And the reason I'm showing this to you is because when the mom took the picture, she said that I looked like that I was just in awe of the moment. And I was. Because you see, little Natalie here overcame some pretty significant obstacles to get to the baptistry. Some very scary health issues that sent her to the hospital in Memphis to St. Jude's. But she overcame that with God's help. And so as a way of saying thank you, the mother put this picture in a very inexpensive frame and gave it to me. And some 13, 14 years later, I'm still holding on to that picture. That's how much it means to me because I recognize the story behind the photo. And I'm very appreciative of the mother that took just a minute to do that. And you see Thanksgiving's in just a couple of days and you'll have more food than you can possibly eat and you'll be around family that you haven't seen some in years that you want to see and let's just be honest, some that you don't want to see. And God's saying all along, you've got to live intentionally and you've got to live with purpose and you've got to do it in a way that points people to Jesus. You know, his name is Paul. He's a friend of mine that oversees one of the most important ministries in a church. It's the ushers. Not the ushers, it's the greeters, rather. And I met Paul many, many years ago. And Paul was a cool guy, real jovial. Think Santa Claus. That's what I think of when I think about Paul. And Paul is all about training. He's all about investing in people. But let me tell you what Paul does every Sunday that he's in town. Paul will go around that church. He's not a pastor. He's not a person in charge. He's a greeter. He oversees the greeter ministry every Sunday when he's in town, with that exception. Every Sunday, you know what he does? He walks around the church and he says, thank you to every person that's serving. And you know why he does it? Because he means it and he knows what it does for them. It's not a platitude. It's not a trite thing to say. It's scriptural. It's intentional living. You see, we, we start with expressing that to God. We express it and we move it from a feeling to an action. And then it moves from thanksgiving to gratitude. And we move it from thanking and praising God to allowing it to permeate every area of our life. And then it becomes more than a feeling. It becomes a way of life. And you express it to other people. Here's your homework. Start today. Start today in your home and then branch outward as the concentric circles teaches us and allow Christ to use you to be the witness that He's called you to be all because you've made a commitment to pay forward what Christ has already done for you. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for loving us when we were unlovable. Everybody, everybody has the same story in that regard. 
when we were unlovable, you loved us. And we say thank you for that. And Lord, thank you for an opportunity to connect our heart with you today and worship you. It's been good to be here. Every aspect of what we've experienced thus far, it's been good to be here. And Lord, now as we transition to a response time, help us, Lord, to consider our next step. Because everybody, everybody has a next step. And help us to understand that. The next step might be living intentionally with an attitude of gratitude in our hearts every day. Lord, thank you that you give us opportunities daily to do just that because you're moving all around us. The real issue is will we recognize where you're at work. Bless this response time, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Won't you please stand as we consider a couple of next steps. The first next step is the most important. John said that, 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 that these things have been written that you may know that you have eternal life. And then Paul said in Romans that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of that sin is death. That's the bad news. The good news is this. That the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And maybe that's your next step today. That's a big next step. And I'd love to help you with that. Or maybe you've never experienced believer's baptism. We have another baptism service coming up December the 13th. And maybe, just maybe, you've never experienced that. And that's something that you need to deal with today. Perhaps it's a recommitment or a, re, a recalibration of your priorities. And that's what that third step is, a recommitment, a, a, re, a restructuring. Or maybe just maybe it's church membership. Or maybe it's something I've left out. Maybe you haven't been living with gratitude in your heart. Maybe that's just kind of been omitted. And maybe today God's saying, you need to start today. And it doesn't need to be one week a year. It needs to be every day. Whatever that next step is, now is the opportunity for you to respond. If God's leading you to do that publicly, now is the opportunity for you to do just that. Derek and Sarah are going to lead us. You sing as we consider our steps.